0: Dune by Frank Herbert That's not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. This is Ali Ruskash, and welcome to the AR
1: Podcast. This
0: is the AR Podcast. AR Podcast. had recently turned 10 years old, and before she could fully comprehend what life is, her surrounding changed dramatically. Now, flash over to the present. She has come out on top no matter the challenge put in front of her. Maybe who she is today is a result of how she learned to adapt herself to a difficult situation she had to face even before she had understood the meaning of life. Her story is truly remarkable, and I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So, let's get this. I think we're on, right? This is it. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Are you
1: ready to blackmail me?
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course, I have so many questions that, yeah, I'm kidding. But, uh, hey, that's a beautiful shirt.
1: Thank you. Can you read what it says?
0: Uh, Not really, but I can understand that it's...
1: It happens.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's amazing! Wow. Okay, fine. I think I think that's a, that's a, that's an amazing conversation opener because <laughs> this is this is something that we have to talk about. Of course, this
1: is my favorite um, Jordanian brand. Um, it's called Malabas. Mm-hmm. They take you know everyday quotes and they um, turn it into T-shirts and I'm different uh, merch. And there's another one I have that everyone in Iran would go crazy for. It was bullshit, so yeah. I was having a day where I needed everyone to stay away from me, I'd wear my bullshit t-shirt.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> see, okay, that's amazing. Fine, okay, so you're not wearing that today, so that means that we can have an interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're,
1: I wore this in the spirit of what you said last time, that my story kind of sounds like the alchemist.
0: No. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's funny, shit happens, good and bad, and you just roll with the punches and the show must go on.
0: The thing is, I want to start uh, our conversation by asking a question. Um, Do you know why you're sitting here with us today?
1: Oh, actually, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, why am I interesting to him? Because it's funny, ever since I've been doing these Instagram lives, people are like, why haven't we ever heard of you? Why don't we know who you are? And I'm like, I've just been the Wizard of Oz behind the scenes, so actually, I am curious, why am I here today? <laughs> yeah. Why am I wearing this t-shirt and sitting here?
0: For me, the reason I really wanted to talk to you and I really wanted to jump on the opportunity to basically talk to you uh, was because I really find you very interesting. It, it Everything about you, like, you know, the uh, the career paths that, that you've chosen, they're just so interesting. They're not the traditional ways of, uh, like, basically how uh, the world around us work. Uh, or rethink works but uh, it's just it's it's an amazing journey that you've been on and uh, it's a very successful one as far as i know so uh, i really wanted to get to know you better and I, I wanted everybody else to understand um who you are
1: what a huge com- i you know i've always said the greatest compliment anyone can give me are two things you're yeah. interesting. You're kind. So when you say that to me, basically, I'm like bowing down.
0: <laughs> no, you're you're definitely kind because you're on the podcast and you've given us your time. So, yeah. So those two things happened. Fine. So uh, one of the very interesting things about you is that um, you um, were born in Iran, but then you left Iran when you were one year old. I mean, uh, of course, your family left Iran and they had to go to uh, the United States. And then you uh, grew up in the United States. um, And when you were 10 years old, you came back to Iran. I'm pretty sure you must have gone through some sort of a culture shock because I want to get to know that uh, little girl, basically. How did this, like, you know, how did you even uh, adapt? Because, like, you know, kids are very much adaptable to the environment. But uh, I want to know, like, you know, your experience.
1: You know, it's so interesting, and I, I don't really extrapolate on it too much, but I think it's kind of, like, hit a point in my life that people are so interested in that moment. I need to start opening it up, so... We yeah. came to Iran when I was around 10 um, for a summer vacation with family. And a little bit of a family dispute became the catalyst to me staying in Iran. It's funny, uh, I just recently moved. And when I was packing up my life, I found pictures of that first year and how I ha- my grandmother made me Rupush Marnaeh. Because I didn't like anything and I didn't understand why I had to wear it. She sewed it herself and she made these designs on my shoulders so that I would oh. be excited about it. It was really sweet. It was, an, I, it was definitely now that I look back, um, it was a moment of confusion. I didn't understand why I couldn't go back to my friends. I couldn't go back to my school. Um, I was on the gymnastics team, which was my life, you know, all these things. Yeah. And, um I think what happened was, you know, once I fell into it, it's, I guess, my whole attitude as a sink or swim person, I guess so much of it got shaped there, right? I didn't speak a word of Farsi, which I told you the inside joke with my mom is when we moved to Iran, I knew how to say one word, and that was chash, not even ballet, it was chash and by the time i was a teenager and i was speaking farsi the joke was my mom you know whenever we'd get into an argument she'd be like you know i miss the days where you only knew how to say chash <laughs> so it it was it was a really i you know the older you get the more you look back and see what were those transformative moments i really didn't put up a resistance at that point because i understood the circumstances i understood it was you know this is it. I had an incredible support system in my grandmother more than anyone else who was trying to normalize it for me. And um, I quickly made friends. Actually, I'm still very good friends with two of, my, two of the people who were in the first class I ever went to um, elementary school, fifth grade in Iran. We all just, you become a part of this pod in the Tatviri schools back then. I don't know if Tatviri still exists. And everyone's thrown in it together and you know, this is it. We either power through as a bunch of kids and we don't understand what we're reading or writing and we're all confused together or you really thrive and, you know, you know, there, there's no other way but to just like stay focused and move forward. And um, I guess instead of sinking, I swam. I guess the person I am today, maybe a lot of who she is, is because she realized she has to sink or swim when she was 10 years old.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Of course it was. Uh, okay, then, of uh, course, uh, you had to adapt yourself to the culture and to the environment and to the fact that you ju- you basically had to jump into the educational system uh, in Iran, which is completely different from the educational system outside of it. And uh, But I, wa- I really want to say this, that you came out on top because... I mean, not a lot of people uh, could go to Sharif University after, after such a culture shock. And you told me that you uh, were 111th on, on Concours. That's, that's amazing.
1: I mean, it took some serious hard work. And um, a lot of uh, my mom from like four years before, the one thing she repeatedly said, everyone would say, so Shahta, what are your plans? And my mom would answer saying she wants to go to Sharif. And I was like, wait, so are there any other options for me out there? <laughs> no, you're going to shout you. But this is what's funny. My weakest subject was my Farsi. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I never mastered Farsi and Farsi grammar. And I never cared for it at that point. And I didn't feel like I need to dedicate time to it. So the greatest financial and time investment we <laughs> made for two years was Farsi. I had an I amazing see. Farsi tutor. And um, truth be told, that that kind of like was what pushed me over the top. With uh, the sciences, I mean, no matter where you are in the world, science is science, right? So yeah. you, you, it's formulaic, but grammar was a different story. So yeah, so I did, I did get into Shadif somehow. Somehow it happened. I don't know. Maybe it was a mistake, but it happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I see. That's amazing. Well, a a, lo- a lot of our, our personalities are basically coming, of course, from our. Uh, like, you know, moms and dads and how they basically like, you know, talk to us and how they treat us when we were kids. So I'm pretty sure you, uh, a a lot of it, a lot of the fighting spirit that you have to your mom. I'm pretty sure.
1: 100%, 100%. You know, um, I lost my father when I was one. And that was the reason why we moved out of Iran. And um, me and my mom are a team. Uh, She's my best friend in life. She's still my best friend in life. My friends ask me always they're like, you didn't call me yesterday I'm like, I already talked to my best friend, which was my mom. Um, The one thing she repeatedly told me throughout life Throughout life to this day is there is no no or I can't in your vocabulary You can and you will you just need to decide what it is that you want to achieve and a little known fact about my mother um, is that my mother's actually a psychologist.
0: I have a lot of respect for them. I am
1: her greatest experiment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fine. So you did go to uh, computer science, if I'm not mistaken? Um, yeah. Yeah. So how, how did that... Shady, yeah? if I
1: was doing um, in, in material science with a focus on industrial design, which I thought was so cool, and I never really went through with it. I was just there for a year, came back to the States in 99, restarted, from zero as a computer science engineer, hardware engineer, I don't even know why I didn't do software. It was awful. I hated it. I hated every <laughs> second of it. There were times where I just hated it so much. I wasn't doing my homework. And I have a dear, dear friend who actually just had a baby. I would just sit down with him and I'm like, man, I I can't do this. It wasn't an, an intellect issue, right? So it's not that I wasn't smart enough or I didn't understand or any of that. When you just don't like something, you don't like it. and You don't want to do it. And um, I'd copy everyone else's homework. I did it. Um, I can say that now because I I won't lose any of my degrees, hopefully. (laughs) So, um, and it's interesting because since we spoke the other day, yesterday, um, I listened to a lecture by... um, Tal Ben-Shahar, who is a Harvard and Columbia University professor, and he is the world's leading expert on positive psychology. And he taught the course at Harvard that had the most demand in the history of Harvard University. He explains how the pursuit of happiness and how We have to understand what we don't like and what bothers us to actually grow from that dislike and pain and that experience to grow and understand what we like. And I kept on reflecting because I knew we were going to talk today. And I thought, huh, maybe my quest of understanding what actually made me happy and what didn't and I'm sure the trauma of going through the cocoon, <laughs> and I wish I hated that too, yeah. helped me understand that the world of engineering just wasn't for me.
0: I see, I see. Of course, uh, you uh, later on, uh, you found out that you were really interested in literature, which is uh, pretty amazing because, as you said, you uh, didn't know a word of R.C., but then uh, later on in life you understood that you have a yeah you have a passion for it. But what's so interesting about you, and this is something that I've I've really been thinking about for a long time now that uh, we kind of like, you know, we choose so many different paths in our lives. But sometimes we kind of need to think about it and say, hey, maybe none of the paths I've chosen are right for me. And there's no shame in saying that. So just maybe you need to think about it for two seconds and say, hey, maybe this is not my passion. I need to find my passion. And then when you find it, that's where the gate opens and then you all of a sudden you're just flowing with all ideas and everything about yourself. So uh, I want to know this, what happened? Why did you switch to literature all of a sudden?
1: You know, I guess now that I think of my lifestyle (laughs) and I still talk about my lifestyle this way and I tell friends, life is a series of trial and error, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're going to get it right, you don't know if it's the wrong path, but when you feel strongly about something, you've got to give it your best shot. I think that was like a pivotal transformative moment for me because it was going against so many things that I'm taught as a human, uh, that we're taught, right? And it's, I can say my family's 100% Americanized and they really are Americanized. We're the most watered down Persian you're ever gonna meet. Just -hmm. because I speak fluent Farsi really doesn't mean that I even understand half of the concepts of our culture. And I've strived to learn them more as an adult But this was that moment where in any culture, in any family, the kid comes home and says, sorry, guys, I know this is what you wanted from me, but I have to make my own choice. I still remember the day that I came back from class and I looked at my mom and I said, mom, I don't want to be an engineer anymore. A few things happened, right? It was a chain reaction of a few things that went hand in hand that kind of like um, led to that decision in that moment. So first of all, I started taking literature courses, which were a requirement. I was taking the Latino literature course, and I'm reading the poems of Pablo Neruda, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so beautiful! This is so, <laughs> so emotional!" <laughs> and I would tell my mom, and she's like, "In Pablo Neruda so it was it was funny that you know but it it spoke to me right you have that's why i'm saying farsi never spoke it wasn't it wasn't me it wasn't engraved in like in my veins english was so the way i read english is very different from farsi and so that course uh meanwhile in the student government i was um i was very i was a very active student no matter where i was and so um i was in the student government in my college And 9-11 happened. I felt like I had to do something. I don't know. In retrospect, I'm like, huh. You know, today, if you ask me, would I do something like that? I don't know. But um, I made the decision and this was September and that November I switched from being an engineer to um, I think it was November, October. Yeah, when you fill out your applications that I switched from being an engineer to being a lit major. I wanted to host a candlelight vigil honoring the victims of 9-11. And I literally woke up. It was when that event happened. It was around seven o'clock in the morning, California time. I lived in the Bay area at the time. And my uncle called and he said, turn on the TV. The history of this country is about to change. And I had no idea what I was going to see. And I still remember seeing people jumping out of those buildings. I mean, I watched it in real time. It was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. Uh, watching all of that happen. I felt like there has to be a human element. There has to be something done. There has to be something said. I didn't know what that was because I was too young and inexperienced. And, and I figured, okay, everyone's doing these vigils. Let's do a vigil, but we have to say something meaningful. And I started calling up the mayors in the surrounding cities and where my college was. And I really thought it was a long shot and it was a joke to a lot of people, but I was wrong. Um, all of a sudden, the day of the visual, five mayors showed up. And I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. Good thing I prepared a speech. I got up on this like high area in our in the open kind of like quad student area. And in front of all these people, I spoke. And it was that moment when I looked at people's faces and I saw how they reacted. I knew something changed in me. And I realized in one split second, oh my God, this is the power of being a speaker and being a public figure and making a move and really making an impact. And bam, everything changed for me. And decided to study literature. My plan was to um, become a lawyer afterwards. God knows that didn't happen, but I'll tell you this. Now I'm thinking of going to law school. I am very seriously thinking of going to law school.
0: Okay, fine. And that changed, of course, a lot of different things in your head must have. And uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you thought about like you know just going to literature, and you did it, and you were successful. And then you're saying that you might. And it's 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 pretty amazing because you're saying that you might go back to law which is, uh, again, I think we're having this podcast a little, uh, just a little bit too soon, because uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe in a year or two, I, I yeah, could have talked a couple to
1: couple of years, if, if I do go back to law school, I'll ping you, and when <laughs> I finish my law degree, we'll do, um, uh, you know, we'll do this. Exactly.
0: C4. We will do that. We will continue talking about this, yeah. But that's amazing. You, um, uh, of course, represent uh, a very few people that I know uh, in, in the world, basically, uh, that uh, you're the living example of it. Meaning you always say that, uh, hey, I want to do something new. But when you do it, you give your 100% for it. And when you do that, that's, that's it. Everything just uh, happens. And it's like a domino, right? It's like the domino effect happens, and then you're, you come out on top. So um, uh, that's, that's just, that's fascinating and for can me. I'm going to
1: tell you my favorite quote in life. My favorite quote in life is, jump and the net will appear. I live by that. I live by that every single day. Every single time I'm making a decision, every single time I'm making a move, I know that if I jump, the net will somehow appear.
0: Fine. Okay. So how did you um, go into the world of fundraising all of a sudden? So I know I, I, I missed a lot of different points along the way. I want you to remind me of all those things, then tell me how the fundraising basically started.
1: So really quickly, I was at UCSD, studied literature, moved to Spain, lived in Spain for a while, came back, decided I hated living in California, bought a one-way ticket with a bunch of my best friends and moved to Washington, D.C. um, because I really felt like D.C. is where I wanted to be. I started off, my first job in DC was in the, a, a lot of people don't know this, was in the office of uh, the Washington Post Newsweek Interactive office. And I worked in the marketing department and a sales section. And this is like my first adult job as a grown up. When my contract was up there, I'm like, oh my god, this was so bad. Why did I always as like a college student think that my dream isn't to be in this glass office with people on the phone and making deals and like, this sucks. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to be true to myself, if I want to make a difference, and if I want to be, you know, and I, and I always think of this word, and I say this to the 20 somewhat year olds that I've mentored along the way, you have this idealism, Right. It's like before life disillusions you and slaps you and punches you in the face, you have this idealism of like, I can like the world, like I am gonna do so many things, right? Not that I haven't, but I'm just saying at that point, it's all rosy. And yeah. so I said, you know, if I'm going to do nonprofit work, that it's now. I have to do it before I'm 30 years old. When I turned 30, I, for some reason, I thought that when I turned 30, this clock this alarm is going to go off and I have to make make money and make babies and have a family and like what we're taught and I thought like I'm going to put everything on pause for these like four or five years so I started interviewing at different places and I got really really lucky and I got hired at the one of the oldest art colleges in the U.S. Um, that's attached to one of the oldest and most prestigious museums in the country. And I was in the Office of Student Affairs. And they hired me for one reason. I knew nothing, nothing about art. And I thought going into my interview, that's going to be the thing that they're going to say, we're so sorry, but like, uh, you don't even know who Picasso is. Like, this ain't going to work out. And they actually said that that's exactly what they were looking for. And it was my fortune in life. It was my luck in life that that's not what they were looking for. And they hired me. And um, I spent a good few years studying. I sat in as many classrooms as I could to educate myself. And by the end of the first year and a half, I was promoted to being the assistant director of the college. And I became the face of the college, kind of like handling external and public affairs. And by that time, I actually knew what art was and I understood how to work with a community and start collaborating and building partnerships. Um, The institution hired a new senior vice president and as I was on my phone in the downstairs basement of the museum. Uh, which was where the college was. I was on the phone one day. I've told the story many, many times, but it's important to share it with people who have never heard it. And I saw the senior vice president come and sit behind me. And I thought, oh shit, this is either gonna be really <laughs> good or it's gonna be really bad because a senior vice president coming and sitting behind you at your desk, mm-mm, not, not not a good sign. Got off the phone, turned around, and I looked at her and she said, kiddo, We're going to move you upstairs and you're going to be on my team. You're going to be a fundraiser. So I switched over there. And what was interesting is that they wanted me to write a business plan for fundraising from the perspective of someone who understands the ins and outs of education and the needs of the students, not as someone who's just purely sitting back and looking at the mechanics and project management of the operational aspect. And I wrote a business plan based on my experiences. And within two years, right on my two-year mark, I had increased their giving by 125%, which was amazing. P- crazy considering I didn't even know what I was doing. And that was it. The rest is history.
0: That's amazing. Uh, would you say that the key to all of this... Uh, I'd say I, I still call it success, of course, because it's just my point of view. And like, you know, you can say whatever you want to say, but it's, I'm going to call it success. Uh, the, the key to your success um, for me is um, you know how to talk to people. And uh, it, it, it was crazy because, it was crazy been told because... That.
1: I've been told that a couple of
0: times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing is, it's an art. Of course, it's an art when you actually think about it, because you can't like, you know, if, if you leave uh, anybody with you for, for like a day, just one day, I'm pretty sure they're going to become friends with you and you guys are going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the key to your success has been your communicational skills. But uh, do you think uh, that has played a major part?
1: Of co- oh my God, are you kidding me? Um, I, I, you know what it is, but you have to think of, you know, why do I communicate the way I do? Mm-hmm. I think from a very young age, um, I love, love from the depths of my heart, from the depths of my soul, from the depths of my gut, I love people. When you love people, when you love them so much that it doesn't matter who they are or what they are, you want to find a way to connect with them, right? So it's more about my investment in the connection with human beings, my investment and interest in finding a way to really establish a deep relationship with them. That's driven so much of what I've done in life and who I am and how I communicate. And I think that's where the communication and, um, developing more and more kind of like strategic, now we call it strategic skills um, came from, you know, and and I think another thing to, you know, another aspect that you and I didn't get to talk about the other day is that I've traveled to over 40 countries in the world, you know, until a few years ago, um, the reason why I didn't have any savings was that while everyone was buying Gucci and Prada purses, I would pick up a backpack and I'd go and I'd travel through countries and, The reason was, I love people so much. I wanted to understand what the people of the world are like. I wanted to understand what a woman who's sitting in a village in Vietnam is like. I wouldn't take a private car to go to a different city. I'd hop on the train and sit across old women and try to have conversations with them. And, you know, um, whether it's there, whether it's in Costa Rica or, you know, Nicaragua, sitting down with the family in the market and just trying to connect with them. I think that's where a lot of the communication comes from. But if you ask my mother, she's going to tell you when I was five years old, the problem when they would go somewhere with me, whether if it was to go to the supermarket or something else, was that they didn't – it wasn't that they had to watch me because they were worried I'm going to run off and do something dangerous. It was because I would go to find friends. So I would I make see. friends in the supermarket. I would go up to the adults and I'd start talking to them. and um my childhood friends have an ongoing joke. If you leave Shahte in a room alone by herself with no one, when you come back in a week, she'll be talking and become, and she will have become friends with the walls.
0: <laughs> so,
1: so much of who I am, what I am is that. And I don't know how you can succeed in life without wanting to understand, communicate, and connect with other humans. That is what success is. No matter what aspect you're looking at it. Even, I mean, even, you know, you're an architect, right? So think of it, a trained architect. The most successful architects in the world, you know, I remember um, when I met BRK and everyone's, you know, talking about the star architect of the world. Why do you think VRK is so successful? Have you listened to this man speak? I mean, when you go to a party in New York, he's, he's the center of attention because he draws people to him, because he speaks the way he does. The greats of the world were not just the ones who had phenomenal ideas and had incredible personalities. They were the ones that knew how to connect with people. The Bill Clintons of the world, you want to talk about politicians, you know, Clinton is known for one thing. He has a photographic incredible memory and he'll meet people and five years later he'll say see them and he'll say by the way how's your son and they're like wait what how does this guy remember that right so
0: that's amazing it's
1: not about it's about the connection
0: that's amazing. Going into uh, different countries in the world, I'm pretty sure you have, uh, like, you know, uh, you have seen the world from uh, a lot of different perspectives. And that's just, uh, that's a gift that not a lot of us basically have. So you, you're very lucky in that sense.
1: I I did, do not take it for granted. I'll tell you that. And But yeah, it's like, but that's that's the thing. When you make the choice, you make it happen. You know yeah. you have you have to plan for it. You have to be systematic about it. And if you want something badly enough, if you love something badly enough, you try to make it happen.
0: That's amazing. So I have one more question to ask you, and this question is going to be the hardest of them all. <gasps> uh, so I want but to I'm ask scared. you a question which I think you should be because I'm scared to <laughs> ask you that question because I have no idea what the answer is tell going me, to be. Tell me, tell me. What is next for Shahdeh?
1: Oh, my God. What is next? You know, so this. Oh, wow. That is a good one. Yeah. (laughs) So this is what's interesting. I spent the past few years um, trying to move away from fundraising. And, you know, I want to be corporate and I went to graduate school and, you know, I started consulting and. You know, I had this illustrious career where I was one degree removed from Warren Buffett. So I guess from many people's perspective, I did hit, you know, the prime and pinnacle of my career. And yeah, I I, I guess now I feel a little successful. I know and I believe that for the rest of my life, I will be a work in progress. And there's two aspects to that. My professional development and my personal development. Neither one is going to stop. I will always want to be a better person. Um, I will always want to, you know, feel like I'm making greater impact. So with that being said, this pause that um, I actually haven't been working since um, the virus hit, it is the first time since I was 19 years old that I have had a break and I've had a lot of time to think. And of course, what do I keep on coming back to? How can I start? making a difference again? Like a real difference, a deep difference. And with where we are in the world, does it mean that I find a cause that's really important to me? And I think that's what I've been looking at a lot. If it's the medical field, if it's um, larger companies to be a part of their um, financial support teams. Um, As a fundraiser, as a biz dev person, something like that, because I know if there's a moment in time that as human beings, we need to find a purpose and a cause and something that we really want to feel like we're contributing to mankind, this is the moment. This is it. So for someone like me who has that skill set and, you know, I've exercised it for years and years. I keep on thinking maybe it's time to go back to my roots and just help and fundraise for causes that are going to take us to the next chapter of the world, not just chapter of my life. Sure.
0: Okay, that's amazing. That's great. Um, I really hope whatever you um, basically have in mind and whatever you feel like you want to do next, it happens the way you want it. Because, uh, like, you know, you're one of those people that I'm very much interested to know what's going to happen in their lives <laughs> yeah and uh, please if you ever uh like you know uh, came back to iran for even for a day <laughs> <to do> that, <laughs> please ring me up i i like you know i'm pretty sure my wife and i would love to see you and uh, that'll be that'll be the best thing i yeah. would love
1: that it would be an absolute pleasure and honor
0: well i'd say uh, i'm pretty i know that like you know uh, uh, the person you are you are even in the, these times, you're pretty busy. So thank you so much for...
1: <laughs> we'll definitely <laughs> again. do a sequel.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> uh, and uh, I hope to hear from you again soon. Of
1: course you will. You can count on it.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. As always, I'd like to thank Ordi Beige Pastry for being an ever-present partner. And of course, for their amazing cookies and cakes. You can find them on Instagram at Ordi Beige Pastry. This. Has been Eli Ruskash, the creator of the Air Podcast. This was the AR podcast.
1: AR podcast.